Have you heard? 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 Welcome to Have You Heard? I'm Jennifer Berkshire. Our topic today is schools, real estate, and the complicated relationship between the two. And it starts with a visit to a very particular school. So we're here at John F. Kennedy Elementary School in Somerville. This is where my daughter goes to school. It's the school across the street from my house. You can hear some students coming down the stairs right now. Hello, how are you? If that voice sounds familiar, it's because it belongs to my co-host, Jack Schneider. He convinced me to join him on a field trip on what happens to be the very last day of the school year at Kennedy Elementary. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Kennedy School. It's a special community here. Uh, It's 470 students. It's an amazing, diverse community. It's over 30% special education. Uh, We have 25% of our family's first language is not English. Um, and it's again, it's a really di- diverse community that we that we welcome, love, and support. And what I would say with when it's a vertical school that's K through eight, you get immersed in the diversity, and it's something that's a value and an asset that we see that really prepares kids for the the real world that they're going to be part of. First, a little context. Somerville, Massachusetts is a city of about 80,000 people located just northwest of Boston. It has the honor of being the most densely populated area in all of New England. And over the past two decades, it's gone from being mostly a white working class city to a genuine melting pot. That diversity was a big part of what attracted Jack and his family here. You have students who look all different ways and whose parents uh, look all different ways and come from all different kinds of backgrounds and head off to all different kinds of jobs each day. Uh, it was the thing that drew us to this community, that it's so rich and vibrant um, that you know you can run into somebody who has a story that is completely different from your own uh, any day just, uh, just walking across the street to school. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you may know that Jack is an academic researcher who spends a lot of time thinking about school quality and how we measure it. Well, part of that interest was spurred by his frustration that existing school quality measures were missing a big part of the picture about his own daughter's school. Yeah, and also weren't capturing the fact that Somerville is a good district. Um, You know, so if you look at... uh, if you look at the rank-ordered list of test scores uh, that are almost invariably published every year in the Boston Globe, um, you would get a, a pretty negative impression. Um, an alderman in Somerville wrote to me and said, uh, I can't tell you how many parents of young children I talk to who have concluded without any serious research or inquiry that the schools suck. When I ask them how they know, they almost always cite test scores or various rankings, which are based on test scores. As an experiment, Jack tried to see if he could get the school rating tools on real estate sites like Zillow and Trulia that help homebuyers shop for homes and schools at the same time to recommend his neighborhood school. Uh, Well, I wanted to see if I could get these tools to allow me to live where I'm perfectly happy. Uh, and uh, if I could get them to recommend my daughter's school as a place to send her, the school where she's perfectly happy and getting a good education, and I could not. Uh, my, my 
really fun experience was when I slid the quality bar all the way to 10, which is the highest. And all of the schools in the area for like a several mile radius disappeared from the screen. There were homes for sale, but there were no schools that you could conscionably send your child to. Basically, the real estate sites were telling him to forget about Somerville. Instead, they directed him to whiter, wealthier communities because, according to their school rating tools, that's where the best schools are. Well, there were a couple of leafy suburbs that they thought would be particularly well-suited to me. Uh, So uh, Newton uh, was near the top of their list. Um, I think I could get a home for about a million dollars in Newton. Uh, so, uh, maybe once we get that Kickstarter going for the podcast, I can embezzle some of it and, uh, and head out West. Wellesley was another one, uh, about the same, a little more expensive. I think median home value is about 1.3 million in Wellesley. Those, those much may just be the homes currently available for sale. Um, so the, the, there are plenty of 10-rated schools. They just happen to be in extremely wealthy neighborhoods uh, where home values uh, are, are through the roof, um, and there are very few apartments that one could rent. Which raises a big question. How exactly are sites like Zillow and Trulia and greatschools.org, which provides them with school performance data, defining what makes a good school? The short version of the story is they measure quality uh, by the number of middle-class and affluent white students in the building. That's not, of course, what they would tell you. Um, So greatschools.org, for instance, their methodology is that they take uh, standardized test scores, uh, proficiency scores, and then they balance those against growth scores, which I suppose is slightly better than just using proficiency scores. And then if you're a high school student, they also bring in uh, SAT scores uh, and graduation rates. So Uh, most of these figures correlate pretty strongly with uh, family income, parental educational attainment, uh, and as a result of those things with race, uh, family language. And so, uh, you know, the use of test scores as a measure of school quality is extremely problematic because a school could be doing a fantastic job uh, at all of the things that we want schools to do, not just helping students acquire academic content in a way that uh, can be tested by multiple choice tests. Um, But it specifically could even be doing a great job at that. Um, But if students started behind for any number of reasons, um, you know, they weren't read to as much as their more affluent peers. Um, Their parents haven't from birth been cheerleading for them to go to college. Uh, Any of these things uh, we know will be correlated with lower graduation rates from high school, uh, with lower standardized test scores, um, which, you know, is not to say that we should feel good about that. Um, we should feel wretched as a society about that, and we should do a lot more um, about that. But to, to assert that that tells us something about school quality is a, a really problematic statement, and particularly so when we begin to make decisions about where to live based on looking at this data. Put simply... Test scores often tell us more about student demographics than they do about what's actually happening inside of a school. Because those school rating tools rely on measures that correlate so strongly with student socioeconomic status, what they're really offering is what Jack describes as demographic data in disguise. We do know that 
students from high income backgrounds, um, particularly if they have college educated parents, which they are more likely to have if they're from high income backgrounds. Um, you know, we can go down the line of variables that end up being pretty strong predictors of student standardized test scores. All of these variables mean that these students are going to test well wherever they go to school. Uh, so if we picked all these students up and we brought them into Somerville and then we took all the students in Somerville and we sent them out to the Newton schools or the Wellesley schools, the test scores would actually follow them. Uh, and so, you know, eventually we might see some school effect, uh, but it would be pretty minimal. Um, and so when we're looking at test scores uh, as a measure of school quality, uh, again, what we're really doing there is we're just looking at demographic data in disguise. And, you know, that that's really problematic. Some people do look directly at demographic data when they're making decisions about where to send their kids to school. Uh, and it's certainly a part of the puzzle, right? You, you do want your student uh, to be in an environment that you support as a parent. So we, for instance, wanted our daughter to go to a diverse school. Um, but there are a lot of people who simply don't know that that's what they're looking at when they're looking at test scores uh, or when they're looking at any number of these websites that purports to uh, simplify the question of school quality for people, whether it be greatschools.org or niche.com or schooldigger.com. Now put yourself in the shoes of the potential home buyer. You can see on the handy map that all of the best schools are in the leafy suburbs. So you do whatever you can to avoid the schools that don't even show up on these real estate finders. You know, one of the most troubling pieces here is that because schools... Uh, are are valued by people, and because they are associated with a uh, a real estate premium, uh, homes in quote unquote good school districts end up being more expensive, um, which means they price out lots of kids uh, who might not have had high test scores, uh, and they become available to students who are going to have high test scores wherever they go. And so you have a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy and a, a kind of feedback loop here where affluent parents are attracted to schools with high test scores, and because they move there, the schools then have high test scores. And the reverse is true in communities like ours, although again, this is beginning to change, um, where you see Parents are scared off by low test scores, and because those particular parents uh, do not choose to move there, they do not bring their high-scoring students with them. This episode is about schools and real estate, but we've ended up where just about every conversation involving public education seems to go these days, with the topic of segregation. These school rating tools are making the problem worse, but they're also a reflection of the fact that the way we view schools has changed. The segregation of American schools uh, is obviously much older than test scores. Um, but what we've seen for the past several de decades is a resegregation of American education. Um, you know, a big part of this is tied to people seeing schools as a private good rather than as a public good. Um, if schools are a public good, then we are not in competition with one another for good schools. If they're a public good, we want everybody uh, to be involved. And actually, the, the more mixed our student bodies are, the better. Um, but if schools are a private good, uh, then we are in competition with each other. Uh, then the value of my education is uh, dictated by uh, its relationship 
to the value of your education. So if I'm getting a little bit more and a little bit more status than you, then that's good, whether or not I'm learning anything, right? Learning is sort of incidental here. Um, and so in uh, economics, this is called a positional good. Uh, so all I really want is to come out on top. Uh, there is no sort of standard of excellence that I'm striving for. Um, so, you know, this can be tied to the increasing belief among Americans that they live in a meritocracy, that education is the way to get ahead. Um, there's a lot of evidence that indicates that we don't see a lot of economic mobility across quintiles. Uh, so folks born in the bottom 20% of income earners uh, are actually likely to themselves grow up and earn uh, income somewhere in the bottom 20% or bottom 40%. And the same is true of those at the top. Um, but there is this very strong belief in meritocracy and the role of education in meritocracy. And there's been an increasing arms race over the past several decades as particularly middle-class parents have really worked to ensure an advantage for their kids, to get their kids into the right preschool and then the right elementary school so they can go to the right middle school, the right high school, and eventually the right college. And increasingly, as we've seen more students attending college, now the aim is to get them into the right graduate school. But the real losers in this educational arms race are the students who are left behind in ever more concentrated poverty. The students who end up in uh, schools with high concentrations of uh, classmates who live in poverty um, end up attending schools where they feel like they have been abandoned. And in many cases, because uh, there is not a uh, critical mass of empowered activist, resource-rich parents, um, they actually... Uh, are are abandoned. Um, they do not have the ear of power the way that uh, more resourced parents and communities have. These students look around and they see that the most disempowered people in our society are the only people in this school. That certainly has a psychological effect on students. Um, it's also the case that if you have uh, a, a uniform student body of students who are starting school a little bit behind, um, that you're presenting teachers with a much greater challenge than if you had a diverse classroom where there are a few students who need a little bit of extra attention and the teacher can deliver that extra attention, no problem. Um, and so to, to create these kinds of disparities and then to pretend like unequal outcomes are the responsibility of the school, that the school has somehow failed these children, um, is, you know, is just adds insult to injury. Um, and so the piece that, that really troubles me with all of this school rating and the connection to real, real estate is that it really does create segregated schools, um, which don't really benefit uh, the most privileged and which really have devastating consequences uh, for the least advantaged. And so uh, we really end up undermining our best shot at providing an equal uh, an excellent education to all students, which is to create highly diverse schools that have the resources they need. By now, you're probably shaking your head in frustration or even despair. Once again, we've come up against what seems like an intractable social problem. But here's where our story takes a turn. Instead of just sitting at his kitchen table lamenting inadequate and inaccurate measures of school quality that end up exacerbating segregation, Jack decided to try to come up with a better measure. 
you know, really what it was was just a less insane use of available state data uh, where, you know, we tried to not simply use figures that are just demographic data in disguise. If people want demographic data, they can go on and find that. Um, but if they want to learn something about a school, um, you know, some data are helpful there, right? So, you know, like uh, the attendance rate at a school, you know that's something where sure there there is uh, a correlation between family income and attendance, but great schools get kids to show up, um, and uh, so that's a, a figure that's worth looking at. Or uh, the level of curricular rigor available um, to students, uh, which the state of Massachusetts keeps data on, um, looking at. Figures on teacher turnover, for instance, um, teacher turnover that is not due to retirement. So, are teachers like just churning through this place, or are they sticking around? That's a pretty good proxy for a place with a positive culture of uh, of a professional community. This project goes back a while. What Jack just described was only part one, an attempt to work with the Boston Globe to come up with a better way to rank Massachusetts cities and towns than by test scores. And that inspired a much more ambitious undertaking. What if it was possible to design a way to measure school quality that more accurately reflects what parents, students, and teachers really want from their schools? He and some colleagues decided to try and to use Somerville, Massachusetts and its schools as their test case. So we started at the beginning, uh, and the beginning is figuring out like what do we actually care about, uh, what matters. So we had um, parents, community members, teachers, principals, uh, district administrators, all the principals and all the district administrators here in the district actually got to weigh in. We conducted focus groups in a number of different languages. And we produced a school quality framework that really represented the things that people in this community care about. What Jack and the other researchers found was that parents cared a great deal about academic outcomes. But their definition of success went way beyond just test scores which means that the school rating tools that said to give Somerville a pass were missing much of what parents were most concerned about. They said they cared about uh, teachers and the quality of the teaching environment, um, school culture, which includes things like safety as well as student-teacher relationships and student-student relationships. Um, they said that they cared about resources. And so this is uh, you know, not just the amount of money a school has to work with, but you know, is there a science lab? Um, are there music classes? Uh, are there instruments available for students? Uh, does the school have sufficient curricular resources for teachers? Um, and then in terms of outcomes, uh, you know, strong support for uh, indicators of academic achievement. Um, but that included things like student engagement, um, student valuing of learning, uh, which in some of my research uh, since then, uh, we have found is often inversely uh, related to uh, test scores. Um, that schools that are promoting higher test scores are often doing so at the expense of student engagement or student valuing of learning. Um, and then they said they valued these uh, citizenship and well-being outcomes for their students. So they wanted their young people to uh, learn how to get along with others and to work in teams, um, to communicate effectively, uh, to be socially and emotionally healthy, to be physically healthy, um, to, uh, to be able to empathize with others and to be able to take action in their communities. And so once we figured out what people valued, then we could actually try to figure out, well, how do you measure this stuff? 
in order to capture what existing data was missing, they ended up building a measurement tool themselves, including designing surveys that get at how students and teachers perceive their schools. Some people have questioned the degree to which you can rely on these surveys, but of course, who knows a school better than the people who spend all day there, uh, 180 days a year? The project started in Somerville, but has expanded to include six more districts, a mix of suburban communities and cities, including Boston and Lowell. It even has a name, the Massachusetts Consortium for Innovative Education Assessments. I hope I got that right. As it turns out, um, students in MCIEA schools are about uh, one out of every 10 students in Massachusetts. Um, So uh, we are scaling up and we continue to grow. Um, and, uh, you know, we think that eventually uh, we can um, scale up to become the way uh, that schools are uh, measured in Massachusetts and possibly nationwide. And that if people have good information about schools, and by people I mean all stakeholders, uh, so teachers, parents, community members, district administrators, uh, school committee members, um, that they can engage in a kind of, uh, they can engage in a more informed, more collaborative, uh, evidence-based, thoughtful, nuanced, comprehensive discussion about school quality, uh, that parents can be more engaged in the process of supporting schools, that educators will have more evidence at their fingertips to use uh, and to track experimentation with, um, that school committee members, uh, school boards, which we've done an episode on, um, can set broader aims for their schools rather than just saying, you know, we want the schools to improve in their test scores over the next two years. Um, that district administrators uh, can track a much wider array of outcomes. Um, and ultimately, that this can reshape the way we talk about school quality so that when people are doing things like purchasing a home, they don't inadvertently promote school segregation while not really securing for their kids uh, a better education. If you were paying close attention to that last bit, you may have noticed that Jack used the dreaded S word, scale. But the ultimate aim here is to challenge the view of schools as just another product to be consumed. That simply isn't the way that most parents, once their kids are actually in a school, uh, at least most parents who I talk with, um, that's simply not the way that they are understanding school. The school is not a product. The school is a community that they are a part of. Um, and so they learn the good, the bad, the difficult, and they want to roll their sleeves up and get to work. Um, and the same is true of educators, right? So educators can be steered away from schools. You know, they look at schools that have been labeled or stigmatized, and they say, well, you know, that's not exactly the kind of place that I want to work. Um, but once they're in a school community, educators uh, are so willing to acknowledge flaws and to work really hard to try to strengthen those communities. Um, but community is the word there. Uh, and so, you know, you're right, we did, uh, we did a really uh, grassroots uh, process. We engaged in a really grassroots process um, here in Somerville, and we did so for the consortium as well. My colleague James Noonan uh, ran focus groups with several hundred people in uh, consortium districts and included students in those as well. Um, and what he heard from people was that 
they see schools as valuable because they enable young people to become the adults who they would envision themselves being someday or who the adults in the community would envision those young people becoming someday. Um, they are not seeing schools as products. They're not treating education as a positional good. They're treating it as a public good um, and that each individual is a part of that public uh, and they see themselves as being a part of com a community that needs to work together um, to strengthen uh, what needs to be strengthened and to celebrate what ought to be celebrated. We started this episode by talking about school rating tools on popular real estate sites. Well, representatives of greatschools.org and Trulia recently agreed to talk to Jack about the problems he'd identified. So how did it go? What I recommended is that they put on their website a lot of tools for people put a checklist for people to take with them to a school visit so that when they're doing a walkthrough, they know what questions to ask. Um, you know, Put some information on there about what do proficiency scores actually tell you? What do growth scores actually tell you? Here in the state of Massachusetts, there is a figure called SGP. What does it stand for and what does it mean? What do attendance rates tell you? How can you interpret the available state data so to build capacity among people? Um, but of course, you know that's a lot of work. Um, that's not a technological fix. That's not something an app can necessarily do. Um, and so, you know, I don't criticize them uh, for doing the things that a company uh, like you know Great Schools or Truly or Zillow, both of which are powered by GreatSchools.org. Um, for, for doing the things that a for-profit company operating in the private sphere is going to be incentivized to do. Um, but I do criticize them for uh, some of the, the more negligent practices like not putting um, some, some really clear language on their website about uh, what these ratings are based on and what they do and don't tell you and how they might actually steer you um, in a troubling direction. That's something that they can do something about. They Are they going to go out and uh, build a new framework for school quality and collect those measures? Yeah, that's not really what they were built to do. Um, that's fine. Um, but, they, but they ought to do a lot more to ensure that they are not causing active harm to schools and communities. That was my co-host, Jack Schneider, who happens to have a brand new book out. It's called Beyond Test Scores, A Better Way to Measure School Quality. And if you're thinking that maybe this whole podcast thing was just a way for Jack to move product, well, I'm Jennifer Berkshire. Thanks for listening to Have You Heard? And if I'm not mistaken, I think we're about to hear an announcement over the intercom. Good morning. It is now 11.56, we're going to be for the last four minutes. I want to give a heartfelt thank you to our amazing, dedicated staff for such inspiring learning this year. To the student body, what a privilege it is to work with you every day. Enjoy your summer, be safe, enjoy a well-deserved break. Make sure you give a big thank you to all the staff that's worked with you this year. Enjoy the summer. Congratulations.